Hi, I'm Michael Williams, Artistic Director of Sydney Writers' Festival. We hope you enjoy this conversation recorded live at the 2021 festival. Hello, everyone! <laughs> Lovely to see you all here this afternoon. Welcome to today's session, Laughing at the News. My name is Jan Frog. Thumbs up from this person here in the audience, all right? Thank you. Um, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet. They are the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I want to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Well, as I said, my name is Jan. This session is called Laughing at the News. As we know, the news is desperately unfunny. We wish that it would stop, but it does not stop. It keeps going in a 24-hour news cycle from hell. And because we know that journalists notoriously cannot or do not laugh at themselves, we're very lucky to have satirists who do that job for us. So today on this panel, you're going to be meeting three of those people. And please allow me to introduce them. Beck Shaw, who I'm sure most of you already know, um, she's a Twitter icon. She's also an ARIA award-winning comedy writer. Um, she's written for Tonightly with Tom Ballard. She's written for Get Kraken. She's written for The Weekly. And she also has um, a Twitter account called No to Feminism, um, which is hilarious and has 150,000 followers. And if you have followed that account, you'd know why. Um, Alex Lee is a comedian and television presenter. Um, she also has a journalism background, some of you might not know. She worked for ABC News 24 and also for BuzzFeed, where she was actually a political reporter. Um, you can see her on stage uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons for the very popular podcast Dragon Friends. Um, her TV credits include The Checkout, The Chaser's Election Desk and Media Circus, The Rose Story Club, Saturday Night Rove, and of course, SBS's The Feed. And we have Alastair Baldwin. He is a writer, a comedian, um, a sometimes blonde, as he likes to say. Um, he's written for The Weekly, Hard Quiz, Get Kraken, and At Home Alone Together. Um, he's a member of the ex experimental comedy duo Nemesis with Vidya Rajan, and he's been published in Metro, Archer, The Guardian, and he's also a contributor to Growing Up Disabled in Australia. So without any further ado, please welcome the trio, Beck, Alex, and Alastair. Um, so this session's called Laughing at the News. I kind of just wanted to start with a, just a bit of an introductory question to all of you, because sometimes I get asked about like my job description and I have a bit of trouble like, answering what it is that I do. So like what each of you, and I'll begin with you, Alistair, what is it that, that you do? Like, what is your job? <laughs> What's on your business card? Well, uh, at the moment, I do two days a week writing for The Weekly on ABC. So that involves getting in at 9am, reading what's news, having a meeting, trying to decide what's the most newsworthy thing, and then spending a day trying to write jokes about it. And then outside of that, at the moment, I'm uh, a freelance screenwriter and trying to break into writing murder mysteries and really leave news behind. Okay. <laughs> are, you, are you okay? Did something happen? <laughs> no, it's weird. It's almost like watching eight hours of the news a day is bad for your mental health for some reason. <laughs> I love that it's so bad that thinking about murder would just be actually good for your mental health. Absolutely. There's yeah. a catharsis to it. There's a neat ending. You know, the news goes on and on, but there's no denouement. That's right. And um, Alex, what's your... What do you do? What do I do? Um, I work on a show called The Feed on SBS. So it's a half hour 
current affairs and also comedy show. Um, so I work on a sketch uh, every week with um, Ben Jenkins, Victoria Zerbst and Jenna Owen in our little comedy team. And I also uh, do a monologue every week in the studio and okay. host the show. Yeah. 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 Um, so how, how would you, like, are you a writer, performer, satir- like, how would you characterise yourself? Oh, you know, I always shy away from the term satirist. Yeah, okay. There's something, I don't know what it is about it. It feels kind of self-important or something, like that you've got all the answers. Right. <laughs> and I really never feel like that. I feel like I write jokes about the news. Right. I never want to say, like, oh, I'm a satirist. Something, yeah. something I really don't like about it. There's um, also a sort of person that does use satirists <laughs> <laughs> that you don't necessarily want to be like. Okay. Well, I, I did just use that word. So um, I, might, I might retract that. Um, how, yeah, that's how, what how I meant, you. <laughs> how, would, how, would you, how would you put it then? Um, what, is there a, yeah, is, is there I mean, a word? I don't I know. I think I just... Yeah, I, I think I just try and write comedy about what is happening in the world. Okay. Yeah, I usually don't have to give my job description that often. Yeah, you don't have a, res- you don't have a business card? No, 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 I don't even have a LinkedIn. My accountant got very mad at me. Oh, really? <laughs> Too nervous, <laughs> putting all that stuff down. So. Yeah. What do you do? Um, great question, thank you. Um, I'm unemployed. Squared? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I usually, you know, I'm a freelance writer, so... Um, but I recently worked on Hard Quiz, which is not news, but... It sort of is, though, because you're like, no, it's not, is it? <laughs> it sort of isn't. Um, uh, yeah, but I do freelance writing, so, you know, that covers a lot of... I do some opinion writing and that sort of thing and jump around. I've worked on The Weekly and Tonightly and um, shows like that that involve... Uh, being across all of the news all of the time, yeah. which is very hard to switch your brain out of doing that, even when you're not uh, employed full-time to do it. Yeah. After Tonightly, it took me a long time to stop reading the news and instantly trying to create a sketch <laughs> out of everything I read. Yeah. <laughs> it's very tiring. Because, like, you, I mean, you brought that up as well, the idea of watching eight hours of news a day to then be able to write a joke about that eight hours. But there is something that actually does start to affect you after a while Mm. of just watching this stuff consistently with no end. Like, how do you all deal with that? (laughs) We're we're all writing murder mysteries, Jeff. (laughs) Okay, well, Alistair's got an exit plan. (laughs) Um, I find it disturbingly easy to switch off if I, I don't have to do it for my job. Okay. Yeah, I just, um, yeah, I guess I've got a kid, so mm. I pay him some attention. Yes. <laughs> and I've got nothing in my life. Uh, wait, Beck, we should have a kid <laughs> to fix idea. our psychological problems. The ultimate satirical baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it is actually how most people feel all the time. Like, it's so overwhelming to be exposed, like, even, even when you're relaxing, like, on social media, you've, you're getting news. Even when you're not trying to yeah. watch the news, it comes into your line of sight. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think that it's so, so easy to switch off because there's just so much happening. You're like, how am I ever going to get across this? How am I ever going to have all the correct opinions about this? Um, and so I think that is actually where satire comes in. Um, you know, the, the kind of stuff that we make. It's, it's like when people are feeling exhausted by the news, how can we 
bring them stories that we think are important or, you know, issues that we think aren't being talked about enough, um, you know, in a way that is maybe cathartic or yeah. even, yeah. Do you see it as like an antidote maybe sometimes to some yeah. of like the heaviness? Yeah. I think of it like as it sort of is like a pressure valve release. Like um, when I started the note of feminism thing, it was when things were bad for women. So it's, it's a different time. Um, <laughs> Thank God we don't know, need I that anymore. Um, but, you know, I think that there's these little moments where you can, like where things are so bad and so overwhelming, but you can have this moment of like seeing something that is like funny or silly and like having a moment like to <laughs> not think about it in uh, like an overwhelming sort of way. Yeah. Because sometimes I think like, because I, um, I sort of um, worked on the feed for ages and it was this sort of daily show and you're like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I can switch off, I'm fine. And then kind of got to a point where it was just like, shut up, like everything just shut up. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not really on Twitter anymore because I, I found it almost suddenly overwhelming. Um, mm. I don't know if, if either of you have kind of experienced that or gotten to a point where it's just been like, there's just so much out there I need to either take a break or remove myself from this and I can't keep thinking of how am I going to turn this into content? What's the funny angle in all of this? Mm. Mm. I definitely, I think when I, I've done three seasons of the weekly now and my first season I was doing that five days a week and I can't imagine a torture worse <laughs> than doing that now. I think two days a week. It's Charlie Pickering, that <laughs> terrible to work with. <laughs> He's lovely. <laughs> um, it's the ABC. No. Um, but oh, okay. <laughs> Here's some tea. Um, no. Is this... People aren't going to live tweet this. <laughs> if everyone promises not to tweet about this, I can get much more real. Um, but no, I think it's, you have to find a balance that is sustainable. And I think it is the thing where social media is kind of giving everyone the experience of working on a new satire show, which is being plugged in for hours on hours on hours to the news. And so I think satire can be good um, as a way, just like variety, like there's a certain, through social media, the news just becomes kind of rote and very mm. samey and it's delivered in the same completely blunt, emotionless often um, sentences and then you're just ingesting it and one tweet about genocide is given the same character volume and tone as one tweet about, I don't know, a duck that, did something cool. Um, and so, what did the duck do? <laughs> genocide. It was... <laughs> it, it's a full circle. Um, it's a milkshake duck. It's a milkshake duck. <laughs> the revelation. <laughs> Committed horrible against geese. Um, yes. But, yeah, I think, yeah, for, it's definitely being on social media and doing that as a job, you need to find ways to... Uh, make it sustainable long-term as a career. And for that, I think it can't be the only thing you're doing. Or for the people that that is the only thing they're doing, I think for them, maybe it's like a cause, like they've been called to it. But yeah. I don't know if I have that relationship to satire. <laughs> yeah, which is sometimes I find the difference between um, journalists and um, 
you know, like comedians who comment on the news is that journalists can sometimes tend to take their job quite seriously. Like, we're here doing the most important thing. And I find that, you know, comedians that commentate on the news are like, eh, it's just a bit of fun. That is, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, there's a, there's a real self-aggrandising around the work that journalists do amongst themselves. Go on. <laughs> I think they're all like... Um, why am I choosing this opportunity to rail yeah, yeah, against journalism? I'm just like, no, I love this. <laughs> but like, I have, <laughs> I have some friends, and whenever you see a journo like do an incredibly self-important tweet, like this is what it's all about. Like here I am out here, like doing my job. Give me some applause. It's like, yep, yeah, good on you. Like that's your job. You're not, you're not the hero of the story. I think is the thing a, a lot of the time, and I think it's a problem with the media that. Everyone's trying to make a mark. Everyone's trying to have their own personal brand. Yeah. But I think you're not doing your job properly if you're only thinking about how good it's making you look. Yeah. So what are you thinking about then when you're doing a job? It's something that came um, to me. I feel like last year was a really different type of year because of Did something COVID. happen? Or? <laughs> um, yeah, there was this really bad... There was bad a duck. duck. <laughs> <laughs> the genocidal duck. <laughs> no one's talking about it. No one, no. It's too powerful. Um, but um, with COVID, it really felt like people didn't... People were feeling really fragile and people were feeling really scared in a way that I had never witnessed before. But it didn't, especially like when we're all going into lockdown, it didn't feel right to be making sort of pot shots of politicians for making the, the wrong or making decisions that were maybe not entirely the, you know, yeah, didn't, the best possible thing they could have done. Like yeah. it, we were all in an unprecedented situation. Everyone, we, we sort of felt like anyway, the, what our job was is sort of to make people feel a bit less lonely and feel a bit like we're all in this together. Um, so we really sort of shifted our satire away from day-to-day -day politics and more like, how are people feeling about this crazy thing and how can we show that in a funny way that makes people realise that these huge anxieties that they're feeling right now aren't just being felt by them. So we did a sketch about... Um, that anxiety of, you imagine you'd get if you uh, were being interviewed by the, the COVID officers about all the venues that you'd been to. If oh, yeah. If you tested positive. <laughs> My worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was like this real thing that hadn't, I, I, you know, I hadn't really ever seen a lot of people talk about, but like, Oh my God, like everything I've done this weekend would have been just made public. <laughs> yeah. Like how horrifying because it was like, actually my thing would be everything I didn't do. Yeah. Like we were sort of like the people who have COVID have had the most active 48 hours. <laughs> They've just gone to so many venues and done so much stuff. I was like, my life is empty. What am I doing? <laughs> well, wasn't there that guy in Melbourne who I think went to like two Bunningses in mm. one day? And like no one would let the man off the hook. I'm like, what if he <laughs> needed a shovel? He wasn't at the one Bunnings. He had to go to another one, you know? I think I would get roasted for not going to Bunnings even though I'm a lesbian. <laughs> I'm not handy at all. What's the perfect system? Because Bunnings will beat the lowest price by 10%. So you go to that Bunnings and then you take that price back to the other Bunnings and then you go down. It's like an arms race. It was all a very well thought through operation on this man's Absolutely. part, for sure. Absolutely. COVID is like the limitless drug. Yeah. It expanded that guy's brain. But so... Um, 
not to compare too much with journos because I, I think they're kind of slightly different things, but there is an element of responsibility I think that you do feel inherently as a journo because you are putting this information out to the public and you want it to be factual and people are reading it and, you know, feeling a certain type of way about it. I wonder, do you guys have, do, do you feel a slight burden of responsibility when you're putting out your stuff as well? Because we know that so many people turn to, you know, late night shows in the US, for example, to get their news a lot more than what they would turn to the actual news to get their news. Do you, do you feel like a, a sort of a burden on your shoulder or are you just like, eh, I'm just doing this thing? <laughs> yeah, I think for me, when I've felt that the most, it was when I was, when I worked on season two of Get Kraken, which is satirical, even though it's scripted um, on an episode uh, set around International Day of People with Disability. And we were talking about uh, how fucked up the NDIS is and inspiration porn and all these things. And I think I felt this burden because it's also a community that often is not talked to, it's talked about, and even then not talked about that much or enough. And so I think certainly when you're talking about issues which I feel like it's easy for comedy shows to feel like we've touched on disability, we've touched on race, it's sort of like ticking stuff off and then almost forgetting about it rather than being a competition. It can feel like you have a very small window to actually talk about something meaningful and potentially mm. bring new information to people who didn't even think about, in this case, disability and disability activism and ableism. And so I think it's all relative. I think on a show like the weekly, you sort of have to, to a degree, feel responsibility, but in another way, because it's constantly cycling through week to week, you need to let go once the show goes live. So mm. it's finding that balance and then choosing, I guess, the moments to really care about because it's for people who are overlooked by satire a lot yeah. of the time. And that is something that, like, a lot of these shows do follow what is being reported in the news, but on some of these shows, like, because we can, like, delve deep into, like, one sketch or one monologue or something, you can sometimes have the opportunity to cover something that isn't being reported in the news as much yeah. and give people a better understanding of that um, instead of just, you know, social media and stuff is a lot of, like, this story and then you say something about it and and some of these shows, like, Get Kraken and The Weekly even and you guys can, yeah, cover something that is important yeah. but being a bit overlooked. Yeah. How do you determine what is satirable, I guess? Like, when you, when you watch something, how do you know that, okay, this is something that works? Is it a gut instinct or are there sort of these certain unnamed criterias that you know this will work for a good comedy sketch? Yeah, there are some things that are funny news stories and, and you get people being like, oh, you guys are, oh, I can't wait to see your guys' take <laughs> on this. Yeah. Um, you know, like... Uh, the, the, uh, the government's milkshake consent video. Um, which I thought was great, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> we all wrote that together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you learn a lot. Um, <laughs> but sometimes they're not necessarily a good option to do because, partly because everyone has so many opinions all the time, especially if you, you live online like, like we do. I, that's the thing I, I find quite overwhelming is like, oh, God, everyone said everything about this all at once and the thing happened two minutes ago. Yeah. Mm. So what am I, you know, I going to bring to it? So I guess 
it's kind of about being able to be like, oh, okay, maybe I'm the one who's going to take a step back and try and analyse how everyone reacted to this. Like a, an example of that one might be um, the the uh, dancers who twerked in front of the battleship. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Which feels like three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was two weeks. Yeah. So, and that, that news story just moved so quickly. Like, on the day that it sort of came out, we were like, this is hilarious. Like, we've got to do something on this. And then the discourse, like, by that, that afternoon had already yeah. moved to, mm. is it problematic um, that these, <laughs> you know, that the song choices that these dancers have made? And, like, is the Navy objectifying women? And it's just, we, we sort of did a monologue just trying to capture the... the not that story itself, which was funny, um, but the whole way that it was received and the whole way that we moved from opinion to opinion, opinion yeah. so quickly. And it was just trying to, yeah, analyse analyze that and, and say, okay, why? It doesn't really matter what this story is. Why are our brains wired to treat a story like this where we're, everyone's just pointing fingers at each other and, and trying to find someone else to blame or cancel or whatever it is. Is it hard to do satire? Because, you know, part of doing good satire is to have like a, a good take on mm. something, right? Or, or a point or... Do, do you find it harder to do that given that like everyone has a take, as mm. you were saying, and it's like it's all been done two minutes after this thing's happened? Like how is it harder to cut through? Yeah. Even on Tonightly, which is like it was a daily... Like we would turn around sketches, like go in in the morning, like wake up at six and read the news and pitch by nine and then shoot it and then go on it. Like, you know, even that, it was like we were racing against the discourse and like every right. opinion. And you would sometimes get to lunchtime and you're like, oh, now I've seen this take like 400 times on Twitter. So by the time it goes to air that night, people might be like, this doesn't feel original or fresh because everyone's saying it. So it definitely. But then there's also only like, what is it, like 12% of the population yeah. are actually on Twitter. And, and they weren't watching Tonightly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that is true. And it's also something in the room as well that you have to try to remember that it's, we're in a bubble also. And so what, what I might have seen during a day isn't necessarily what people will see on the ABC. Um, but yeah, I think it does make it definitely, and especially, yeah, like how, how fast, you know, we go from point A to point B to point C. And then you're like, even on the same day, it's like you've already moved past what you're going to be talking about. Um, so yeah, it makes it quite tricky. Yeah. Because Alex, I think part of like laughing at the news, I guess, means that laughing at you know, powerful people, which could mean getting sued by <laughs> some powerful yeah. people. Um, can, how much can we say about that without getting sued again? Um, basically nothing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm sorry to disappoint. Okay. Okay. Well, then that's just... This, I um, have to yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... How to pivot. I think that, you know, not... Even just talking about what is happening now with Peter Dutton mm. suing, uh, you know, Shane Bazzi, a refugee advocate on Centrelink, is a really sort of chilling moment, I think. And I don't know if you guys have found this, but everyone thinks that political correctness is the thing that is freezing mm. free speech. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, anyone who's like, had no, to write think... something and then have it legaled <laughs> for defamation will know that it's 
yeah, it's not that. Yeah, and this is kind of like sometimes it blows my mind a little bit as well because it's like, oh, we're just political correctness. We can't say anything anymore. It's like, no, we can't say anything because the defence minister has decided to <laughs> sue you for defamation, which is far more uh, consequential than an opinion that someone might have on Twitter. Mm. Yeah, and I, I just think it's, it's terrible. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not actually about going after one person who said something mean to you on Twitter, right? It's, it's more like sending a general message that mm. yeah. you, you think being you can say what you want about me to, you know, yeah. address to everyone, to the general public, but you can't. And I think that's why, um, you know, we, we, it does make me take a moment and go, no, no, what, what we do and, you know, what we're trying to do is at least important. It's, you know, speaking truth to power is... The oh, you said there. you weren't going to oh. say that backstage. And You'll you have, have to take a shot. <laughs> I have a tattoo of that. And so I'm not going to say it. Because, <laughs> I'm, I mean, uh, I... <laughs> because, I mean, you, you, you went through a defamation lawsuit. Um, I, I think it's totally fine to say that you were sued by Alan Jones for defamation. That's all we'll say about that. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Alan Jones fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, in light of that and in light of what is happening with Peter Dutton going after individuals on Twitter, I mean, how do you do the work that you do? Because it is irreverent and, um, you know, it can be perhaps insulting sometimes to those in power. Do you feel curtailed by either defamation laws or people that go stridently after individuals? Well, I suppose, I guess one of the gifts of satire is that often it is about finding analogy and then mining the comedy between the analogy and the reality, which, you know, you can see to negative effect with the milkshake thing where the analogy becomes so distorted <laughs> and diluted that uh, <laughs> it's actively confusing. It feels like you're on acid. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think it's, it's a tough line to walk to make a point that's clear while making it uh, legally <laughs> defensible and calling the character like Dieter Patton or something is like a fun. Is that, does that work, does it? Yeah, if you've seen my one-man show, <laughs> Dieter Button, bad guy, you know, it's some of the sharpest satire available at uh, Melbourne Fringe, no. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's very difficult. I, um, I don't envy having uh, the public profile that you have. I think it's very easy for me as like a writer sort of hiding behind Charlie Pickering. I can sort of be like, <laughs> well, he Your can puppet. take it. <laughs> yeah. But it is like, even when um, I wrote for The Backburner, which was like just an SBS online comedy, sort of like Batuta advocate that still exists. Um, even that, we would get calls from uh, certain people, <laughs> certain people's who've been mentioned here today, um, office, to be like complaining about these like fairly benign news headlines that like go out every day, and then the next one comes out the next day, and it's just like it's just they're just always there, sort of Policing being like or? yeah, and then and the way that you know um, certain other people go after the ABC like and shows like weekly and nightly and that sort of stuff just to, you know, sort of send a warning about it. So you do have to, um, and, and at nightly it was very difficult because it's a daily, you know, you only have so much time to 
come up with a sketch and write it and then it goes to legal who have to <laughs> approve it while you're shooting it and then if they say you can't do this then it's like very hard to turn around and change stuff so you have to find the balance yeah. immediately so it's yeah it's very difficult how is dealing with the abc's legal department i've actually i actually found them to be great okay <laughs> i mean for what they well especially on tonightly like it's a very tough job but yeah i think it um you know they have also have to balance killing every joke and um, making sure we don't get sued. So it's not easy for anyone, I don't think. Yeah. Has there ever been a moment, and this is a question for all of you, where, you know, um, a sketch or a segment or a piece of writing got knocked back for being perhaps too risky or too provocative? Well, the ones that did, I don't know if we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the spectre of defamation <laughs> or... Looms. Well, we did a, um, on Snightly, we did a, with Bridie Connell, I did a Peter Dutton The Nanny parody when he was doing, you know, oh, with yeah, the au pairs. Right. 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 It was really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, on, look, search it up. Um, <laughs> and that was, you know, that was a very tricky because, you know, he's not someone who <laughs> will shy away from uh, getting mad. And so we definitely had to like change some lines, but it was funny like doing, it was basically just like a song, but to the theme of the nanny, but about Peter Dutton. And so going back and forth with legal, <laughs> these so dumb lyrics. Please give us a rendition. Oh, uh, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I tried. Um, but yeah, so there was just like the real specifics, like changing, you can say this, you can't say this. Um, it like word to word, like it, it goes down to that, which is... Um, Wild. Yeah. I, I have either of you had a had a moment where you had to like pull something back or rein something um, in? I don't think it's uh, I I can't think of anything that's gotten to the point where it's been made and then we've mm. had to nix it. Like I think I think it's it sort of becomes a bit of a self censorship thing. Like yeah. once you have an idea of what's gonna clear the bar and what's not, you kinda go, Oh no, that won't work. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. pitch something else, which is like has its own chilling effect, I suppose. Um but, yeah, I, I guess the biggest thing is that you just have to make sure you've, you've got your facts straight. And I think writing satire, that's one of the most important things. You've got to, if you're calling out people for being hypocrites or, you know, having the wrong, inf having the wrong information, you've got to be so across everything that you're doing. And even if it's just like a, a really dumb sketch, you've still got to make sure that its, it's basis is in, is in fact. Otherwise, yeah, not just, yeah, not just because it exposes you legally but because yeah. you uh you know if you're putting yourself in that position pointing the finger at someone you you better make sure that you're you're, you're not in a glass house mm. throwing stones well you said that one jan so I did. that's a yes, shot I did. <laughs> um yeah um i, I kind of i want to talk a little bit about like mediums so the mediums through which we sort of share this work because you've worked across all different mediums like tv a podcast stage but Beth, i kind of want to start with you because you sort of got big on Twitter with this um, no to feminism Twitter account, right? Mm. Which was kind of like, if you haven't checked out this Twitter account, I know you're not hugely active on it. Um, no, it's dead. No, but it's still there. <laughs> it is still there. Yeah. But it's, 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 better, it's dead, but you can still view it. Yeah. Um, where, you know, it was this parody account about women that usually rail against feminism. Um, and feminism was always spelt wrong, which yes. is... 
comedy genius, frankly. <laughs> Thank it was you. Always funny. It's funny. It was somehow always funny, even though I knew funny. it was coming. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I, I just want to read just a couple of them. Oh, God. <laughs> Honestly, these were just like the top ones that appeared. Like I, I okay, didn't, great. I didn't scroll. Go, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need feminism. I'm sick of men being silenced and I know they are because I hear them say it on TV and radio and in their columns. <laughs> okay, let's, let's. I don't need finnism because the finnists are trying to get rid of men and make them obsolete. We need men. If they're gone, who will kill all the women? <laughs> oh, that's spicy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'll get out on that one. One more. <laughs> I don't need Fezman. <laughs> I love that my husband is tall with a hard body and is strong and silent and covered in squirrels. Oh, no, I married a tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was really going away from the political side of things. <laughs> but the funniest thing is it was so, because it was based, there was like a whole movement which was women against fem- feminism. Oh my God, I'm to myself. <laughs> now we know why it was misspelled yeah, every I just time. can't spell it. I believe it's Femsen. Femsen. <laughs> but yeah, there was this whole movement. It was like um, all these women that would hold up signs saying why they were against feminism. Um, and so it got into a really weird territory where people would think it was a real account and argue with it, but those people were are feminists who are on my side, but were arguing with me as a fake account. And I would do, I did one that was like, um, uh, it was something about my husband isn't a monster because he's a man, he's a monster because his um, dad is a werewolf or something. <laughs> and <laughs> I would have people reply to that being like, well, who got you the right to drive? Or like, who won you the right to vote? And I'm like, it's a tweet about a werewolf. <laughs> anyway, so then I was like, I have to kill this. <laughs> so with that, one, how did, how did that come about? Mm. Um, and two, was there something in, in particular that you were like aiming for with this account or was it you just sort of... It was when I was going through a period of um, deep insomnia. <laughs> okay. And so I would like, be on social media a lot with a lot of the Americans and uh, then there was this, you know, movement and I just like started it on a whim basically and it just took off. Yeah. And then it got to a point where I was like not, for a while it was good and like I think it was, people really enjoyed it as like a, there, there was a whole lot of like dark stuff going on and so people engaged with it as like a funny moment and like have a laugh in your day or whatever. And then it got to the point I was like, I'm not adding anything now to this discourse. And like, did you feel like you were at some point though? Not, not really, I guess. (laughs) It more, it more got to the point where I was like, I think it, I've done, you know, I've made all the points and like what's left is just the dumb tree jokes or whatever. Um, and then I got a job and didn't have an insomnia anymore. So. <laughs> right. So it was like partly circumstantial, partly yeah. in response to what was kind of going on globally and socially at the yeah. time. And it had its time and its place. Yeah. And yeah. it was like, am I like doing dumb jokes in between all these amazing like women of colour I was reading and like, you know, all this stuff that was going on. And I'm like, here's my dumb white lady joke. So I sort of just, it had its time. Yeah. And now she's dead. Yeah. IOP. Um. The last four years, how how was it um, writing about the news in in the age of Trump? 
Because I my, yeah. my strategy was like ignore, can't deal, don't know what to say, just hardly ever talk about him. Well, he has very small hands. That's funny, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone mentioned that? <laughs> I don't know. So also, his fake tan his... is bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I noticed that. And I don't think anyone else... No. Oh, I thought you used mention it. Um, oh, I just... I found it so difficult. Like, mm. I think it really turned the way we, we do things on, on, our, on its head. Yeah. Because here was a, a politician who was not shamed by anything. Like, the point of having comedy about the news is that you could be like look at this like this is he's being so hypocritical and everyone look and then they'll suffer some consequences and that's how things work and nothing happened and in fact he invited it and um there was a great article um in the, in the new york times about it which really summed it up which was like that tradition of late night comedy news uh where people would you know hold things up to account and then they're you know, they say, look, this, this, isn't, this isn't right, look at this. And then there would be commentary about it and something would happen. It was it a narrative, the beginning, the middle, complication, done. conclusion totally. to some extent. Yeah, yeah, it just stopped working. And I think people felt, in, in America particularly, felt so fragile. They didn't really want to have jokes about what Trump was doing a lot of the time. They just wanted, I yeah. don't know, some earnest... Um, discussion about it and and um because there was an element of complicity there as well where it's like well you're giving him airtime totally. the more airtime mm. you yeah. give him the crazier he'll get or the bigger this problem will get but you're like but my job is to talk <laughs> about these things yeah. i think mm. most places i think sort of leaned away talking about him in australia anyway because it's like what are we going to add to this that you yeah. know the the americans could do and then it's like there was just so much stuff and it's like what do you say about it that's not, look at that moron. Like, you know, there was no real point of view because it is just so obvious what it is. So, yeah, it was... But that's that's about when I started to feel, like, quite burned out, I think, during because it was just depressing. It was really depressing all the time. Yeah. Anyway, um, A hi. question here from a gentleman. Hi. Uh, as someone who's recently started working in the news, um, I realized, like, talking to my friends that people aren't really engaged in, like, the issues and, and, and like, legacy media is pretty much dead to them. So do you think comedy is the way forward to get people to re-engage with the issues? And second part of the question is, do you think you can teach funny? <laughs> mm, okay, so first question, do you think comedy is the way forward to get people to re-engage with issues? We'll ask that one first. I mean, I, I think so. I, I agree with that point. I mean, I'm 25 and I'm writing for a show on broadcast TV and no one my age watches broadcast TV. Mm. I have to, if I want a compliment, I have to talk to like a Gen Xer or something. <laughs> Be like, <laughs> you know, that rectangle in your living room that you get the wires down to. But I feel like, uh, which is why your sketch that you did with the chaser about the Tracys, the contact Tracys, was really fun because it was, you know, it did very well on social media, but it was about social media and it was about how Gen Z engage with, uh, you know, community and stuff like that. And so I think it actually, it met a younger generation where they were or met them halfway in a sense that um, I feel like a lot of, even legacy media or like TV satire does not. I think there's little 
regard for the fact that younger people just aren't watching TV. I mean, I've mm. never watched any of the shows that I've written. Um, <laughs> That's because they're bad. When you like <laughs> well, yeah. But it is that the, like, the Tracy sketch did, you know, I feel like there is a lot of this stuff going on on TikTok, I hate to say, but like, <laughs> like the Tracy sketch, someone just, someone randomly filmed it and posted it and it had like a million views or something. And like a lot of, some of them were them young people making fun of us. Um, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think like traditional broadcast TV is a different thing, but like TikTok is very political. Like there's a lot of young people on there doing comedy and doing, you know, addressing issues and being really inventive and creative. It's just like a different way that's terrifying yeah. to old people. I still feel that there's like a bit of um, denigration sometimes of like YouTube. Oh, you're, you're like an internet mm. person, you know, you do sketch on the internet or you're like you're a TikTok comedian or you're a TikToker or whatever it is. Um, and I, I, I thought that we would be over that period by now because mm. I feel like it's, it's been the thing for 10 years mm. where they're like, the internet, that's not real news. And it's like... <laughs> We're still here. Yeah. Like it hasn't, that attitude hasn't really changed. I wonder why. Well, I think a lot of like um, people who care about legacy institutions care about a particular type of person being able to get through these gates into the industry. I think YouTube was incredibly democratizing for a generation. And I think it's easy to criticize it because you are hearing things which go against the idea that you should go to a particular university and mm. be part of a particular college or whatever. And I think, I mean, we see time and time again that those extremely insular institutions that immediately lead from education into these high-ranking jobs are harmful for this country. And so I think they, there's a vested interest in criticising YouTube because it can actually be a platform that anyone can use and that's frightening for people who control the media. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you, do, you, um, do you see that changing? I, I don't know. I feel like all our shows are posting clips more on <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> um, it's I don't know. I, I'd like to think so. Yeah, it's hard when, when you're making TV, people s sort of forget that it's, you're, you are, you know who your audience is and you're, and you're trying to make it f work for them. You want your audience to watch it so you get to keep having a show. Um, and there isn't the freedom that these comedians have who, who do stuff on, on, on YouTube and yeah. Instagram and TikTok. And it's, it's incredible. And I, and I think that's, it's going to take a while for, broadcast media to catch up with the kind of stuff that they're making but it's definitely the future like it, it, they also have to at some point because say not to keep talking about tonightly but it you know it was measured in the same way traditional media is which is like you know black box and like not the black box that's a plain one what's the tv one uh, <laughs> the ratings box nielsen the nielsen box the black box jesus christ um, it's like how many people were watching this on this plane when it went down zero um but you know that that was it was it was 
created for like a younger, fresh audience, but then it was still measured by the, like which boomers are watching it at home. And so it wasn't like the way it went on the internet. And like, we had some that were like a million views or whatever that wasn't really taken into consideration in judging how successful the show was. So at some point it's like, you have to surely catch up, but who knows? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the point I was sort of making. It was like, I thought it would kind of happen by now, but it still seems to be a much slower process than what um, I envisioned it being. And that's partly because, you know, we're trying to transition from, like, the ABC to Facebook, and there's all these issues with Facebook as a platform anyway. Like, they, you know, turned off news with just, like, click of a button. You're like, well, no one has news in Australia anymore. Just a reminder, we can do that whenever <laughs> we, we like. Um, but just going back to the sort of second part of that question was, can you teach funny? And can you? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, what is there it? are joke structures and formulas that have existed for ages. And I think that's, I think people are so fun. Like there are so many people being funny online now. It's terrifying. And I think people learn, you know, these days, you know, online, it's like someone makes a joke and then someone makes a tweak and different slightly iteration of that joke. And people are really learning um, you know, how to do what we do just from copying and changing um, mm. things online. So, yeah, if you, if you want to be funny, yeah, just, just watch the things that make you laugh and, and try and figure out why and keep writing and it'll be funny eventually. Okay. To someone. <laughs> absolutely. Can, can you teach funny? Your team, yes? I absolutely think so. I feel like I, people love to say that, like, being funny is this innate thing because it makes them seem like a special star child. But really, (laughs) all comedy is Venn diagrams. I've said this once, I've said this a million times. (laughs) It's been like, okay, you know, you've got Scott Morrison doing a thing and then he's, what was that? He did this PR shoot where he was like in a fighter jet or whatever. And then you connect those things and then you make a Top Gun reference and that's comedy. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, there are these structures and I, yeah, that's a really good point about how the way memes evolve shows you an editing process and it shows you the punch-up process. And yeah, I think it's definitely, Twitter is great. I mean, I feel like just by following all the people whose humour I enjoyed, I sort of, um, absorbed or less charitably copied um, their <laughs> style. And yeah, I don't know. You just, it's like any craft, you get better at it. It's so scary that like people are just doing our job for free and for fun well, I'm all the time. Often doing it for very low pay, <laughs> <laughs> basically free. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got um, a gentleman over here with his hand up, sir. Yeah, look, uh, we've been uh, watching lots of uh, conversations here at the uh, Writers' Festival and uh, a lot of the bigger issues that come from a lot of the the heavy thinkers and the heavy writers within Australia regard what are the issues within Australia. Australia is a great place to live, but we still have issues. We have issues with refugees. We have issues with women. We have issues with um, the, the growing gap between the rich and the poor. Can you guys tell me what you think are the big issues and can you make a contribution to Australia changing those issues and and adapting to them? All right. What are the big issues and what's your contribution? 
All right. This is the perfect forum to fix everything. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it feels like you can link most things back to capitalism. Certainly the way that disabled people in this country are dehumanized through the NDIS and lack of social support is extremely linked to us living under this economic system that equates value to productivity, which is why you get this bell curve of the way the human species is and say, this chunk are good and this chunk is other, and they're a burden on society. And I feel like that is something which happens for many marginalized groups in this country. They're seen as a burden, they're seen as not pulling their weight. And so I think, um, yeah, to me, capitalism is one of the biggest issues underpinning uh, a lot of other issues in this country. My contribution um, is a rebrand, let's call it money time. No, um, <laughs> my contribution, <laughs> um, I don't know, it's so hard to fix it on the spot. Um, yes, no one is asking you to fix capitalism right now. <laughs> I am actually. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, burn it down and wait for a lot of people to die. And then we can sort of, yeah, make something new. I don't know. I think that would be an attitude that is probably different to, you know, the, the people sort of in, of our generation and definitely below. There's a real sense that it's not just about pointing uh, your finger at a politician and saying, can you believe he said that? How outrageous. I think there is a recognition that everything is, you know, all the fucked up things that are happening are all connected and it's structural and there's like big things like capitalism, quite a big one, that, <laughs> that do need to be, you know, torn down and we, I, I think that that's sort of the, ex the exciting thing that we'll sort of be seeing from the next generation of, of people. I really who, who didn't think this comedy. was going to be the tear down capitalism talk, but here we are. We're going to. Yeah. No, we're, no, we're not going there. to. The next ones are. Um, <laughs> don't make me do it. Um, no. I think like, yeah. I think COVID did as well, like expose a lot of things to a lot of people, like for, for, you know, it's, it was bad. It is bad. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but you know, a lot of, you know, I think a lot of young people were like, oh, the government can just, can just give people yeah. enough money to live on if they wanted to. And, you know, and you had like the Black Lives Matter movement and like the police abolition and all that is like things are happening. Like that's people realizing that it's structure and it's, you know, not, yeah, not just like individual actors. Mm. Yeah. yeah. COVID changed the world so dramatically that I guess it made people think, oh, the world can just be different on a dime. And we yeah. can actually take charge of that and make that happen. It's like quite exciting that, yeah, realizing that the economy is fake. It's made up. <laughs> it's completely fake. Yeah. We'll I, take a quick... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add to that. Like, I think the thing that troubles me the most about Australia's sort of general attitude is how Australia feels so so much sometimes like a, a country that just loves to be comfy. And everyone, you know, I think that's really encouraged by the government at the moment. Just, you know, that whole quiet Australian thing. Just get on with your life. Get on with your job. Be, you know, just worry about, you know, your own self and your family. And don't, and we're really discouraged to think beyond ourselves because we're so preoccupied with every, all the 
clutter of our own lives. And I think that we we really do risk becoming a country that just shrugs our shoulders and goes, oh, well, like, you know, the same way we made it through COVID in a way that other countries did it. Like, well, you guys sort that out. It's not our problem. And I see that attitude is, is so pervasive. You know, it's so hard to get people to care about things that don't directly affect them. Um, you know, and, and I, I do feel like there is a real failure of, of, you know, the kind of work that we try to do. We, you know, there are things that satire can't fix and maybe doesn't, maybe it actually has the opposite effect. Maybe it makes people just laugh about something and then they don't feel em empowered or, you know, it burdened to act. They just go, oh, I was feeling bad about that thing and now I've had a laugh and now mm. I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to do anything. And that's what, that's what really, you know, <laughs> keeps me awake at night. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm making everything worse. Yeah. <laughs> a question over here. Hi, thank you. It's been great listening to you talk and I'm definitely not making things worse from <laughs> our point of view. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I just wanted to ask you, particularly as you've talked about having things go online and I'm not sure how it correlates to TV, but is there something that clicks together for you where you go, this one's good, this is what's going to take off, this is what's going to resonate with people? I know the contacting Tracy skit was like phenomenal and that went everywhere. Do you have a moment in the writer's room or when you're shooting and you're like, this is it? Yeah. Do you? I have ones that I think are good. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think you can never, like, there's no way when we're doing the Tracys, there was no way we're like, this is going to get 5 million views and, you know, Chelsea Clinton's going to retweet it for some reason, which was weird. <laughs> but, um, I say that about every sketch. <laughs> about. Like, I hope Chelsea, Chelsea sees it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think there is, yeah, I, I don't think there is a way to predict how it will go, but I think you can be, I think I was like, that's really good <laughs> and I hope people like it, but I'm not sure you can really tell which ones are going to go off, but maybe you can. Psychic. I think, I think the, the thing about things going online is that they, going well online, is that they're either usually tapping into a big sort of collective swell of outrage mm -hmm. or it's people tagging their friends and saying lol dis you mm. yeah <laughs> like that's basically all it is and I think it's changed the way we write tv <laughs> that we know is going to go online because all we want is to go viral that's all we want we're little piggies who just want those views <laughs> make it go viral yeah <laughs> and I think I think it's the other thing about how you write for online is that for some reason, the way all sketches are packaged is you write the, you put your sketch in a big black square and you write in big white block letters, this is the joke. And if you don't do that, people are scrolling so fast, they're just never going to wait <laughs> yeah. for a reveal. Every, the, the, the joke of your thing has to be revealed in like the first five seconds or you're just not going to grab people's attention. So I think it does change the way that we write. Um, and... You know, I, I think it does make you really keep your or the audience front and centre in your mind. It's not like, mm, what a clever little idea that I've had and <laughs> well, people are going to think I'm so smart. Like, that doesn't really cut it. You've really got to think about your audience all the time. Yeah. Which is good. But also, I think, you know, the um, relate very relatable videos aren't necessarily the funniest or the best. Like, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that goes absolutely viral that's complete trash. Like, there are these videos, I don't know if you guys... I think it's the duck that did the genocide, It's right? the duck, yeah. yeah. Like, there are videos that where 
they're like these weird morality tales. Have oh, you seen yeah. them? And they're not really sketches. They're just like, this is the story of a, a man who thought another man was homeless and was mean to him, but turned out he was rich. Mm. And I don't know what they are. They're not sketches. <laughs> they're, I don't know what they are, but yeah. they go absolutely bonkers online. Yeah. That's the thing. You ca- I can't really delve into what is successful online because it will make me go insane. It's like some idiot said something and it's got seven trillion views and I'm like, what is the point of anything? <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I, tr- you try, I try not to really focus on that as much um, as just like making something funny and hoping people like it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that that might be the perfect note to end on. Rebecca Shaw. Great, poetic. Um, <laughs> poetic indeed. Hey, thank you so much to you guys for being such a wonderful audience. And please thank our three panellists, Beck, Alex and Alistair. Thank you. That is it for our session. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the festival. If you're hanging around tonight, I hope it's a good one. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to and rate our channel wherever you listen to your podcasts.